songs I sing for All that you've done for me
23rd Psalm set the music and reworded to fit the tune. The tune is from the Scottish Psalter written in 1650 by William Whittingham and others. The melody was written by Jesse S. Irvine in 1871 and arranged by David Grant in 1872. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gracious reminder that you inspire the psalmist. Remind us that you provide for us, that you care for us, that there's nothing that we want 
And that we thank you, Lord, not only providing for our needs in this life, but also eternally when we walk through the shadow of death. We have nothing to fear. God, we are so blessed. Please accept these gifts that these folks give in gratitude to the wonderful work you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. my shepherd I'll not want he makes me down to lie in pastures green he leadeth me and quiet waters by my soul he doth restore again and me also that do the same Lord we're just so blessed and Father God we pray also too Father for our congregation Lord as we move in this new direction Lord we just pray that everything will go smoothly in this last phase of it uh, we're excited about going to this new congregate new uh, denomination but Lord we just pray that everything will go smoothly in this last part of leaving our own denomination we pray also too Father God for Bill Bannister who 
is really broken down by this disease that he has. The Lord is such a strong man. We pray also for our sister Evelyn, who's also struggling, who's locked in. For also Lucille and for Karen and for Kay and for Joyce. Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray also for Betty, Betty Long, Howard's brother, who is um, out of hip surgery and is coming out. Lord, we just pray for healing. We pray also for her brother who died, brother-in-law who died, that you'll be with the family as they work through situations in him. We pray also, too, for a little lady by the name of Katie who's homeless, that our sister Clara took care of this week and put her in a, uh, took her up to the Union Rescue Mission. We pray also for those that are sick amongst us. We think of Nick and for Marcia. We thank of our especially uh, Daniel Gum and also um, Savannah and Samantha and Mama, who both have cancer, and we pray for them in their battle. I pray also, too, for uh, John, Lord. You know his health needs. We pray also for Betty um, and also for Tom Jr., my nephew-in-law, who's a preacher, who had a, um, have removed from this new liver that he had a hernia, Father, and I just pray for his healing. I pray also, too, for um, the home, uh, I pray for especially the Hodges family, Lord, and the loss of Dee this past week. Very tragic accident. We just pray, Lord, that the police um, can figure out what happened to him. I pray also, too, for John Coslett, who um, <clears throat> was on surgery table and uh, died um, as they were doing a biopsy on him. We just pray for his wife and for his children, Lord, as they mourn the loss of Chaplain Coslett. Pray also, too, for Floyd Roadarmer as he uh, is fell is having a whole battery of chest for, for healing. Pray also for those who are addicts who are struggling, for Ryan, for Jordan, for David, for Eric, Ricky, and Mitch. Lord, we just pray for their deliverance. We ask you, Lord, that they will look to you for the deliverance and strength that they need, Father God. And now, Lord, we just pray as we go into your word today that you'll speak to us and that we hear what we need to hear. And that, Lord, we can come away with uh, uh, things that are applied to our lives, as James has done so well, uh, giving us practical answers to our Christian faith and believing and living in you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> a church treasurer in California of a large church. His friend found out that he was having an affair. And this loving friend wanted to follow the Matthew 18 where he went to him personally as a friend and confronted him and talked to him about his marriage. And the friend pushed him off, rebuffed him, and said, it's none of your business. The friend then went to two trusted spiritual guys in the church, as Matthew 18 says, and they went back to speak to him. And he did not take it well. And finally, the church, they went to the elders. And the elders confronted him and sat him down and he would not relinquish what he was doing. So the pastor and the elders asked him to leave his position, in which they gave him, they fired him, and also excommunicated him from the church until he repented. It's interesting in this epistle, James does not end as all the other epistles in the New Testament does. James, for instance, stops with two verses. And there's still practical instruction. Jesus' brother really wanted people to get the points. 
When you look in Corinthians, Paul speaks about a whole bunch of people. In every book, he speaks about people that he wants to communicate to. He says, hi, and then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Peter does the similar thing. And so does John in his epistle and in the book of Revelation. But James is too much a stickler. He wants to get every ounce out. It almost seems like he ends the book abruptly. But what we find in these two verses is a genuine concern about the brothers and sisters that are scattered, if you remember in James chapter 1, through dispersia, who are believers living under persecution and trials. And the book has 50 instructions that we've gone through in this series. We've talked about how to respond to temptation, how to respond to trials with faith, how to deal with a true nature that loves the Lord, how to have your conversations, how to control your mouth. Several times he speaks about, he speaks about the will of God. He also talks about, again, suffering and persecution and how to live a joyful Christian life he spoke about last week. But now he speaks about weakness. Brothers and sisters who fall off the faith. Somewhere along the line, they get lost in a waywardness. They slip away from the faith. And James here speaks about it, and he starts with the wanderer. He says, brethren, if any of you strays from the truth. Now, James is speaking about this straying. And as we know, straying can actually easily take place that we don't even recognize it. And it's a gradual moving away, James uses here. In the way, it's a passive form of the word. And that we easily drift. I remember when I was in high school, we wanted um, a boating. And a couple of us guys got these rowboats. And we got in them. And one time we were out there and we were fishing and we weren't paying attention. And we had drifted right up near a falls. And we could have gone over and gotten killed. But we realized it and we quickly spread it. Well, this is what happens in the faith. Sometimes people get involved with life and things get a hold of you that are easily to drift away from the Christian faith, to wander from the truth that he says. And James speaks to this very hard thing. And notice what he says here. He's speaking to brethren. This is not non-Christians he's speaking to. He's speaking to the Christian, the brethren, and he emphasizes 20 sometimes this word brethren, who are believers. And notice what he says, if anyone strays, we all have the possibility of straying and how easy it can happen. James talks to the brothers 15 times in this passage. And if anyone, he says, that's including us, that we can easily fall away. And how interesting it is, he talks about, against straying against the truth. It's amazing to me that the Jimmy Jones cult started out so well. People were learning of the scriptures. They were coming to know Christ. And they were believers. But as they got further away and they went moved to California from Indiana, from Indiana they went to Guyana. And Jim Jones began to get sick in his brain and people began listening to him. And they easily floated away from the truth of God. And they followed Jim Jones instead and his wicked ideas. And they easily got clouded in their eyes. And it's so easy for that. I was reading about two little girls in the Girl Scout troop who were out camping one time. And they were told by the counselor, as long as you stay on the path, you'll be okay. And they thought they were on the path, but there was a little path they took off the path. And they were lost. 
And for 44 hours, they had this manhunt to find these girls. And they weren't sure whether they were going to be alive or dead, frozen to death or whatever. And they searched and searched and they finally found them. And it was very subtle how they lost track of where they were going. Well, the Bible says here, it's easy to get off track. Sometimes it's because we get disappointed by God. We don't get the answer to the prayer that we want. And somebody that we've prayed so hard for dies. Or that we're praying for a marriage and it's hard to hang in there. And we keep on trying and finally we give up. And people wind up in affairs and doing all kinds of things. Or we pray for a child and they wind up dying. And these are good Christians who lose track because they've had a trauma in their life. When they need us so importantly. And what how many of us know that one stupid mistake can cost us? One stupid mistake can ruin our lives. We've just seen this in the police department in Wichita. Of texting and making statements and wind up losing their jobs. Disciplined for weeks without pay. Or send out that email. Or that foolish comment. Or that reckless action somebody does. Or the thoughtless deed that they do. Running a red light, trying to beat the light so that you have a little bit more time and colliding with somebody and killing somebody. I've seen that happen. It's one little angry reaction or one little dumb mistake can cost us a life. And here we have it. James is saying to us, it's so easy to get caught in them. And let us just start right here. Paul says it well. James is saying it to us too. Anyone. He says, whoever thinks he can and is careful that he does not fall because we all can fall and make a terrible mistake. And how we respond to our brothers is so important to help restore them. We don't gloat. We're not glad they fell. We want to restore them. And what James is saying here, he says he talks about converting somebody. He speaks about that very strongly because of this person who's wandered away. And he says to us and reminds us, for this reason, pay much attention, closer attention to what you have heard through the word so that we don't easily drift away. It's so easy. It's so simple that we can get lost in a fantasy. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter one. He talks about in our society and we can see it. And he talks about sexuality, how prominent it can play a part. And, and we remember the 60s and the 70s. And we remember all the sexual revolution. And now we see it even further where there's desire of men for men and women for women. Paul also talks about this. And he says what happens is God will put a blindness on our eyes. That we don't even see it. There are people in our society who don't see anything wrong with it. They don't see what the Bible has anything, why they should have anything to do with it. We don't see it when we're seeing all these babies aborted. There's a blindness on our society. And what the tragedy is, it's an illusion. And it's the, of walking away from the truth. And that's what happens. Well, our society right now, the church was supposed to be the one who stands up and upholds the truth and said they have even gone to be part of that illusion. And we see it in our society. The cancel culture. 
is canceling out the truths of the Word of God, canceling out the morals and values that will come out of the Constitution that our early fathers did in this country to preserve it. And the church was given a 501c of a tax-exempt status to uphold that, and the church is not doing that. And now look what we have. Well, we had some friends in the church here that went to Seattle. And they went to Seattle to um, visit relatives. And he said, the fellow said to his brother-in-law, why don't we go into the city and see what's going on? There's so many good little restaurants. He said, no, we're not going in. So why not? He says, because they suspended the traffic laws. He said, it's anybody's game. There are people who run the traffic lights and they get in accidents. I mean, we have this at 21st and we have strict laws about stopping at red. And they're not doing that in Seattle. Then think about this. Think about this. You're living... Not in Seattle, but close to it, and Portland. And one morning you wake up, and there are tents in your front yard. And guess what? These people are homesteading on your lawn. And you call the police and say, come and take them out of my yard, chase them away. And guess what they say? We can't do it. The city won't allow us. So there are people who will sit on your lawn, put a tent in the lawn, and some people even say things about disgusting things that they do on their, your lawn, and you can't get rid of them. This is the cancel culture that has happened in our society. And you see, Paul says this blindness this destroys the community. It destroys our society. It destroys our world. And the truth begins in Jesus Christ, who's the creator, the savior, and the Holy Spirit who works and lives the truth out. He is the truth. And when people begin to push away the truth, which is happening in our society today, we will have all kinds of things like this going on. And Jesus, what, what happens is Jesus wants us to live in the truth. That's the way it's safe. That's why it protects. That's why in Romans chapter 11, I mean, in, in Psalm chapter 11 says, when the foundations are destroyed, what do the righteous do? Those people who are living, who bought their land, who are living in Portland, have no recourse to get people off their front lawn. This is the craziness that comes when you lack the truth. And James calls us and says, be careful this doesn't happen to you. And don't become a wanderer. Now, how do we detect a wanderer? A person who begins to leave the faith. Well, the Bible shows us their heart is filled with their own ways. They want to remain involved in their sinful pattern. They don't want to change. It, let's face it. Living in sin is very enjoyable for the season. And there are times that it's fun, but then there's consequences. And the Bible says in Romans that God will walk away from a society. He'll walk out away from the world and let people do their own demise. And they will kill themselves. Or they'll create such chaos that people won't even be able to live in harmony anymore. And that we see here, we see a person who no longer wants to listen to the Word of God. When a Christian walks away, he winds up not wanting to listen to the Word of God. He also creates offenses. And when somebody confronts him, they'll call him hypocrites. And when they walk away after the flesh, they want other people to participate so they don't feel so bad. I remember in college, I used to laugh because... We were bouncers into parties to keep them from killing each other in the drunkenness of their parties. 
And my friend and I would do this, but they'd always be saying, come on, have a beer with us, because they were embarrassed the way they were living, and they wanted us to participate so they didn't feel so bad that we weren't drinking. And folks, don't ever fall for that. That we stand for who we are in Jesus Christ, and we stand on the truth. And one of the reasons the Bible says here, therefore let him who thinks stand take heed that he does not fall. We have to humbly ourselves and realize if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be there laying in a stupor like that person is. Or we'd be doing something stupid that they do. And we're covered by God's word if we live in it. And so here we have, uh, why do people fall? Now, some people fall because they never were a Christian. They never accepted Jesus Christ in their life. They never truly committed to the Lord of their life. But James here is talking about brethren. He's talking about believers who fall away and how easy it is. Sometimes it's because they're overdosed on sin and sin is pleasurable. We just talked about it. And sometimes you get the wrong friendships and they'll lead you into something that you never intended to get involved with. We also see it in our culture. How media has really pressured us or shown us different ways and, and how they've given stuff that we would never buy into or, or the, our parents would never buy into. And here we see it in the media being jammed down our faces that we're to buy into this cultural that moral wrong. And then we often become bitter. And that's something that happens sometimes when we're fighting it. And we have to fight that also. You see, there's a whole variety of techniques that try to draw us. Satan uses, you know, himself and the world and also the flesh to draw us away. And we've got to peep ourselves. And let me tell you, friends, when you try, and this is what James is speaking about, he's trying to get us to see that we are to help our brothers when they stumble, when they wander away. But it's not a work for cowards. We have to have strong faith, and when we go to rescue people, I can tell you the times I've gone to rescue people, and boy, I got it. I got slammed, but you still love them, and you're patient with them because you know they are really living in sin, and they're even blind to it, and they can't see it. And sometimes what happens is they sometimes move in their beliefs. I know there's Protestant churches that talk about free grace, and that will, God will forgive them. And that's true that God will forgive them. But you don't use it as an excuse to go out and sin on Saturday night so that on Sunday morning you can get forgiven. That's not the attitude. There's times that we do stumble and fall and God will forgive us. But we don't purposely go out and sin so that we can be forgiven. Paul says that in Romans 6. And the problem is, is death comes to your heart to your spirit, to relationships. I've known pastors who've come to me who have sinned and have asked me to help them be restored in their relationship with God. I've had two pastors come to me and admit about affairs that they were having and how to get out of them and how to work through it with their spouse. Those who've been addicted to pornography and how to help them and help their wife to show them how to put this block on their machine so they can't get at the porn. When they're tempted, it causes a lot of pain. And one of the things James is showing us here, he says to us, what we need to do is when we see somebody falling, move towards them. 
Help them deal with it right away. Get them out of it. It's much easier to deal with it early on than later on when they get really sunk into it. To pray for them and pray with them. To get them delivered. And then to turn them from the crazy, false beliefs to the truth of God. You see, the Bible says it's us here. One who turns them back. James is saying, that's us. Not just Pastor Dave, it's all of us. And that we're the ones who turn them back. And we are our brother's keeper. You know, that phrase comes to us back from Genesis. Where we know Cain killed Abel. And Cain, after he killed him, God goes to him and basically confronts him. But he does it in a very natural, calm way. He says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> and basically God says, yes, you are. You're to be your brother's keeper. And you're to care for him. And that you begin to work with them. You see, you address it. And that you and, and get to know what occurred and the truth about the matter. And then go to the person and share with him what he's done to break it. And you see, one of the things that we have to do is our eyes need to be clear. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, before you go talk to your brother, make sure you get the log out of your eye. And then go and take the speck out of the brother's eye. I'll never forget when I went to go get surgery, cataract surgery. And, you know, I thought, she said, the doctor said, well, you're going to be surprised what you see. You're going to be amazed at the colors that you see. And I'm thinking... I see fine. What are you talking about? And then when I got those lenses on, whoa, there was a whole new world out there. And I could see clearly, and I didn't need glasses anymore. I could read off the page without using glasses. It was amazing. And you see, people who are living in that world, who are fallen and wandering away, they're blind. They're blind what's going on in their lives. They're blind to the people that they're affecting. They're blind to seeing what they're doing. And here... We have James telling us it's easy to get people hurt. And he says, you who are spiritual, you go and restore them. Now look at what Paul says. Paul gives us more elaborate understanding of how to go about this business of helping somebody who are wandering. He says, brethren, again, we're talking about Christians. If someone is caught in a trespass, and the word there is a trap, People don't understand that they're living in that sin. They are in a trap. And what happens in the trap sometimes, the more you pull away, the harder the clamp comes and begins to rip into your skin. You need somebody to help you open that trap up so you can get that foot out without getting any more collateral damage. And that's why both James and Paul say, if anyone is caught in a trespass, and that means we all can be there, you who are spiritual. That means that we come with the right attitude. That we've taken the log out of our eye. That we're mature. That we really understand and will love this person with the patience of Christ. Back to wholeness with Christ. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, am I mature? Have I allowed God to work in my life? We see it. Am I becoming more patient when I have trials? How do I do with resisting temptation? Do I find joy in obeying God's word and studying it? Are there prejudices in me that hold me back? 
Am I able to control my tongue? James has given us all this. Am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? Do I have that kind of spiritual wisdom? Am I a friend of God or I like my friendship more with the world? Do I make plans by considering God's will? How about my wealth? Does that control my life? Am I naturally dependent on God and pray to, for all the things I do? You see, it's so easy to fall away. And that we who are spiritual need to help our brothers and sisters who are falling. And it's interesting, James talks about conversion. That we convert, that's what one turns him back. It's conversion. How do you convert a Christian? Well, I'll tell you how. It doesn't mean save them. They're already saved. But in their hearts, there are things and we all have it. I've been being converted for the last 45 years of my Christianity. It is called the process of sanctification. And that as the Holy Spirit works in us and he brings a trial up and we think, oh, I don't have a problem with that issue. And then all of a sudden he brings a trial that opens it up and shows us that we do have a problem with that issue. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Oh, I can forgive anybody. And then somebody does you wrong. And all of a sudden, that's a hard one to forgive. And that's how God shows us that we need to be forgiving in our hearts and shows us how foolish we can be. And that how easy it is not to deal with that stuff in our hearts. And James is saying, along with our good friend Paul, you need to deal with those things and trials so that you can withstand and continue to work with. There are times that there will be people who will say to you, get out of my life. It's none of your business. I don't care. You're not my friend. And you see, it's, we need to have our hearts settled. And that's why God does this process of trials so that we can deal with those things to prepare us for the challenges that we have ahead of us. And that's his sanctification. Rather than just walking away and go ahead, kill yourself and say something foolish like that, that we patiently bear up to that trial and love that person back to Christ and to right sane thinking. And so what we're saying here is that our hearts got to be compared, uh, converted. It happened with Peter. Peter was saved. He loved the Lord. Lord, I'm going to go to the wall for you. And then Peter didn't go to the wall for Jesus. What made him a good minister is because he had to fail. And Jesus told him, I'm going to let Satan sift you. So that he could deal with something that he had in his character that wasn't right with God. And that he needed to be converted about. And that is his ego. He thought he could withstand anything in his own power and that he could fight for Jesus. And then we find out he can't. And see, it's not until after the resurrection that Jesus speaks with him, shows him, Peter, you think you could handle anything before you fell. And now we were proved that you couldn't handle it on your own because you didn't have the power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And that's why you need to trust me wholly, Peter, because he hadn't fully trusted Jesus and Jesus not Lord of his life with his ego. And that's why finally he was converted in his heart to trust what God had said. And you see, at this point, the scripture speaks to us. And tells us, 
Brethren, if they're caught with a trespass, you who are spiritual, then do what? Restore such a one of a spirit of gentleness. That gentleness is concerned for them and how this affects them and to show them that you love them and we see that what it's doing to your life and how it's destroying them. And you do it in a very gentle and kind way. And then notice the humility that takes that we all understand that any one of us could fall as we look to ourselves so that we may not be tempted. You see how easy it is and how we can have that humility once we realize how dangerous and how powerful this stuff is in our lives. And James, uh, Paul brings this out so beautifully. And then he says, the brother keeper thing, bear ye one another's burdens and there fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love your brother as yourself. This is the law, that we are our brother's keepers. And when we see them, we're concerned about them falling. We're concerned about where their life is going. And that we must have courage to go to them and speak to them. And loving say to them how much we love. You see, it, it, it's so easy to just be worried about ourselves. And I'm saved and I don't have to worry about myself. It's kind of like the young man who was being interviewed um, at the movie theater for an usher job. And the manager said to him, well, what do you do in case a fire breaks out? Oh, I know where to get out and I can take care. I'll be fine. <laughs> Wrong attitude. The manager said, no. You are to make sure that everybody gets out of there before you do. And they get out safe. And that's where this whole bearing one another's burdens, brother's keeper thing comes. That we care for our brothers and sisters and make sure they make it safe. And that comes with being concerned. That means having the courage to talk to them about very sensitive issues. That means that we have integrity and that we show that that's the way we try to live. And we do it in a gentleness. And that's how beautiful Paul lays this out for us with gentleness and humility. And that we build friendships with people that are falling. And that we realize the effects that this can have. This can even have a physical effect on them. I have a friend right now whose body is basically, he's a young man and his body is totally deteriorated because I've tried to help him to see what drugs and alcohol would do and he would not listen. And it breaks my heart today because he's like a 90-year-old man. And it breaks my heart. And you see, that's what sin will do. It will cause us to die. We see it in the psalmist, David, when he was living in his sin with Bathsheba and then killing her husband. The Bible says to us that when he went with unrepented sin, his bones ached and his body was wasting away. And the damage it does. You see, that long-term damage of sin can easily deteriorate us. It's kind of like the person who lets go the knee and they keep on letting it go. And then the doctor says, yeah, well, we need to do operating, but you have nothing there to, to now we use to reattach. We've got to put something else in there in space of it. Because you wore it all out. And that's what happens with sin. Sometimes it takes sometimes people harder as they stay in that sin. And we who are called by James, go and turn them back. Go talk to them. Continue to hold out the love and the peace to them. And continue to pray for them so that they will finally return. And look what the good that it accomplishes. Let him know that he turns a sinner from error of his way and will save his soul from death. That's the death. It's a physical death. 
It's a separation. It's a secession. These things wind up bringing death to relationships, brings death to the physical body. It brings death to a person even that their body deteriorates. And what you sow, you reap, the Bible says. And so what we find here is it saves them from death. Now, some people say, well, he saves them from eternal death. No, because he's a believer. He's held by God. And so, therefore, he's not dying eternally. He'll be forgiven, but he's dying now. And his life is showing the, the seeds of what they've sown. And notice what else it says. It says he covers a multitude of sins. Moses did that. He pleaded with God because the children had been so disobedient in Exodus 30. And God was going to wipe them all out. And Moses prayed for them and asked for forgiveness. And he did not take them out as he promised he would. You see, the word of God here speaks about it very plainly and says, When Jesus sat on the cross, it is finished. All the sins that you have created and I have created and that fallen person has created in their life... It's finished. It wiped out. God has covered over those sins. But to show them that they need to bring their life back so that they can store the lives of the people around them that they love. To remember the hold up, the forgiveness, yes, but also the standard. One of the sad things I had, again, two weeks ago, I was up in Omaha, Nebraska for one of our classes meetings. And we were having these discussion groups and all of a sudden, I said something is that, you know, we need to hold the standard up high. And this one lady who's a pastor said to me, well, we need to forgive everybody. I said, yeah, we forgive everybody. But we in the church, we as believers have to hold the standard high. The Bible says, Jesus says to us, our righteousness should be greater than the Pharisees who practiced it really hard. And that we as Christians hold the standard and the bar high so that the world can see. And yes, we're forgiving. Yes, we've forgiven the fallen. And yet, we need to hold the standard high. And that we realize that when we hold that standard high and we see somebody falling, we restore them back to the righteousness of God, not bring the righteousness down so they can just hop on a certain level. No, we're restoring them fully because that's what Christ does. He forgives all that sin. He covers all those sins. And what we do then is we lift God high to the truth and what is ripe in the world. And so therefore we're challenged to, number one, pray for them. Number two, keep loving them. Number three, Keep our lines of communications open to them when they have fallen and love them as we can because they need that standard. They need the standard and they need to understand they can be restored back to the standard and that they don't have to live on this low level of life. And that's what Paul says in Corinthians 2, 7. Look what he says. He says, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive, but not only forgive, Comfort him. And what we're reminding them is that sin that you've done does not have to hold you back anymore. It's forgiven, and now you move forward to glorify God. Otherwise, and Paul's a realist here, 
Such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That guilt can pin them in. What do you think Satan does when somebody has fallen? He reminds them of their sin. And when he gets restored, he will continue to remind that person, you did this. How can you claim to be such a great Christian? And that person can say, because it's forgiven. It is finished. Christ dealt with that. And I can move forward now. And I don't have to be held back by any guilt or any brokenness from that sin that was wrong. And I agree it was wrong. But I'm wholeheartedly restored to Christ because of what he did on the cross. And I can be accepted. You see, that's the beauty to me of that beautiful story of the the, 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 the child who ran away from his dad. The prodigal son. Because you see, Jesus pictures the prodigal father waiting for his son who took the money that he deserved for the, and spent it and squandered it. That father was waiting for that son who had to eat with the pigs. And in Judaism, that was the most disgusting thing that anybody could ever do because pigs were impure. And here he now was eating with the pigs. And that father waited for his son. And he looked for his son to come back. And then the Bible says, Jesus says in that parable, when he saw his son, he ran to his son. All the elders in the, 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 the community were saying, what is he doing? His son walked away from it all and he trashed his father, didn't respect him. And not only did he, but he, the father, picked up his, his, his long robe and exposed his legs, his ankles, which was an embarrassment to the Jewish community. And he's running towards his son. And as his son gets there, he throws his arms around him. Tells the servants to get the fatted calf. We're going to have a huge party because my son was lost but now is found. And he even rebukes his son who never did a bad thing. Who was the righteous one. And he rebukes him for not accepting and loving his brother and rejoicing that his brother was dead and now is alive. And that's the way God, that's the way God, we want to remind them, responds to the repentant sinner. And that's how we need to, too. Let's pray together. Father, today we are so grateful that we have such a loving God who's so forgiving. Because Lord, we sin many ways every day. We fail to keep up your standard. We thank you for your love for us. And we pray especially for our brothers and sisters that we might know that are floundering right now, who've wandered away from the faith and who've sought not the truth, but the lie and the delusion of this world. Help us, Jesus, to be a seeker of those who are lost, especially those who've left the church or who aren't where they should be spiritually. Help us to just love them. Have that concern. And be willing to take some stuff that they dish out because they don't want her and they're still in their rebellion. 
Help us just to love them like you do, God, us, with a never-ending love and a love that never passes away. Thank you, Christ, for your love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. At this time, we're reminded. We're to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, how he died for us, and that we also know that we have communion with him. We're privileged because of his death on the cross. And that we have a hope in eternity because of what Jesus did for us. So in doing so, we're going to come before our Lord and share with him his communion that reminds us of these things. Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Remembrance of the body that Jesus Christ was slaughtered and beaten for our sins. Amen. In like manner, we also take the cup, Jesus said. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me blood of Jesus Christ offered for us.
remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers over all our flaws and washes away our sins. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for such great love that you would send your holy Jesus for us to die on this cross and to spill his blood so that you could substitute for us so that we could go to heaven eternally and that we could have a relationship with you through the Holy Spirit. Oh God, you're awesome and we give you thanks. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Please rise for the benediction and the closing of our new song. I want to read these words from uh, Paul today in 2 Corinthians 13. As he's reminding people who have been brought back. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Be restored. Be encouraged. Be of one mind and live in peace. And that God loves you and his peace is with you. Father, I love you, I worship and adore you, glorify your name in all the earth, glorify